0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanee, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Law's Proper Use, recorded on October the 9th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, Timothy had been instructed by Paul to correct... Some bad teachers, that's the theme that, that kicks off chapter one. There's some bad teachers there. They fancied themselves teachers of the law, so they thought they were, but they weren't. They were posers, and they were in the midst of the church. I imagine that had to cause some sort of relational stress for Timothy to have to go correct people, um, but that was his job. The, now, teachers of the law. Uh, remember, Christianity is—it comes from Judaism. It really is Jewishness done right. It's—it's um, it's Judaism with the Messiah. Um, the and and so as a new thing in the Roman Empire, Christianity, the church, it really was looked at as a Jewish sect. And in the Jewish sect, there was no one more respected than a teacher of the law. That—that's what, what we called those things called Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and the lawyers, they they were all referring to people who were experts in the Bible or the books what we call the Old Testament. Uh, the law is the first part of that, Moses, but they were experts in all the law. And so to be a teacher of the law was a big deal. It was like the title of pastor is today. It meant well, I don't know if that's a big deal, but it was in religious circles, a big deal. That, that, so to be in the church, to be a teacher of the law, that's what they wanted. Um, but when Jesus arrived, this thing called grace took over. And, and a teacher of the law, I mean, that almost sounds scary, doesn't it? Could you imagine if every time you came to church, you heard the teacher of the law will come? You can hear me just reading rules to you. Do this, do that. If you don't, you will die and you'll go to hell. And um, the, so, so how, this is how you must behave. But Jesus arrived and then there was grace. And, and we don't see, we don't see the leaders of the church ever described as teachers of the law. Because Jesus was strange in this way, at least to the locals. As as someone who had prestige among the Jews, uh, he was like a, a populist guy. He The people loved him. The teachers of the law were not impressed with him. In fact, he would hang out with the worst lawbreakers. He would go to their homes. He would party with them, not in a sinful way, but he would be there with them, the lawbreakers. And he seemed to claim that God's first concern were the least... <laughs> Obedient humans, the bad guys, not the good guys, and, and then who he gathered to make his own, he, he gathered his own teaching team uh, with, with 12 guys at the center, and he did not gather scholars, he didn't gather people with what we would call the equivalent of a Bible college or seminary degree, people who were ordained in the ministry because of their great learning he, in fact he he skirted those people and he invited to to learn from him fishermen who'd never been to advanced learning and and tax collectors who were just profiteers really and 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 politically motivated zealots and He said, "You guys come here, and he trained them and he said Uh, you're going to be my teachers, really, what we could call teachers of grace. You know, They're not called that, but I'm calling them that. They weren't teachers of the law. They were teachers of Jesus, a new way of thinking, teachers of grace. And though the teachers of the law had all the power in Israel, these 12 men, the Bible said, turned the world upside down with the message of grace. See, in God's church... Brand new as it was in the first century when this letter was written, teaching the law in the old way was not to be done. Jesus was to be taught, and that meant something called grace, which, which for us often is just the prayer you say before you eat. But that's not what grace is. I don't know why we call that grace. Why do we even call that grace? Say grace. That's I don't know. I'm always freaked out by the, the prayer before the meal. It's just a personal thing that always gets my head weird. I, I never understand it. Um, uh, I, when I say thank you to God for the meal, if, if you ever ask me to pray, so people are often disappointed because I'm the religious guy. And they say, well, the religious guy's here. Ask him to pray. And then so I pray. And I say things like, God, thank you so much for bringing us together and giving us food. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no bless it to our bodies, no thines and thank you and bounties i don't i don't get that that's not grace it's a prayer grace is the free gift of god of eternal life and it's it's way has to relate to the law grace means salvation for sinners so when we see paul say you got these guys who are think they're teachers of the law but they don't even know what they're talking about You can't help but think that Timothy is stopping people from teaching in a legalistic manner. So let me read our text for today. It's going to be verses 8 to 11. And we'll jump into the law teaching here. Verse 8 to 11. Now, we know that the law is good, Paul says. Stop these guys from teaching, but the law isn't the problem. We know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. He's using a little play on words there, huh? Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but it is laid down for the lawless and the disobedient. And then he gives a list. Here comes the list, ready? The law is laid down for the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the sinners, the unholy, the profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, for sexually immoral, when you see sexually immoral, think sex outside of marriage, in any form. Men who practice homosexuality. Enslavers or kidnappers. Think the extreme way to steal. You steal a human. <laughs> Liars, perjurers or whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. These things that are against the gospel. Against God's righteousness. With which I have been entrusted. He was entrusted with the gospel. A common theme for him. So the the. the The first century problem that he was trying to stop Timothy, get Timothy to stop, was people saying, I'm a teacher of the law, but they were taking the Old Testament and teaching it wrong. They were misusing it. Now, I want you to know that that is not just a first century problem. It's a Christian history problem. You'll see this problem throughout Christian history, and you'll see it even today. And it can happen in small scales, even in a gospel preaching church like this one. Or it could happen in large scales and infect whole denominational rituals and rules. Christian churches of all denominations and non-denominations of all stripes at times fall into the error of misusing the law. And how do they do that? Well, the, the big error can be summed up like this. To make rule keeping the way you gain acceptance from God. That's what legalism is. Churches having rules is fine. You can have rules in a church. But as soon as you cross the line and say if if you as an individual don't keep these rules, God won't be pleased with you, and if you do keep these rules, he will be pleased with you. You have walked into misuse of the law or legalism. And and it's 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 ripe in church history. It's um and, and you can pick anyone. You can pick anyone from from Baptists to Catholics to to Pentecostals. You'll all, you'll find people who 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 have been trained, if I want to please God, i got to do this. And then they have a list of things they have to do. And that's all they know about relating to God. I have to, back in the old days, not play cards, not go to movies, wear a dress a certain length, have my hair a certain length. Now I know that's pretty much gone today. You don't hear so much about that. Maybe we go too far into license now. (laughs) We're like, ah, there's grace, do anything you want. Which is not correct either. So the question of using the law correctly is as relevant to us today, to keep us on the right path as it was then. So what I'd like to do is take, just notice three tr- truths from the text and, and try to walk through simply a good use of the law versus a bad use of the law. Um, this, this is only the opening the door on a very big room. <laughs> this is like going to a very big library, taking one book and looking at it, and all the books are on the same subject. When you talk about the law and grace... Man, just start studying Galatians and Romans in depth. And and so I'm not presuming that this is the final word on the subject. It's just the beginning. Um, but that's okay. We'll deal with what Paul gives us. So three truths from this text that you can observe. One, right off the bat, the law is good. Apparently that needs to be stated. Because if you tell somebody, hey, look, you're not, you're not pleasing God because you eat the right foods, do the right things, go to the right masses, pray the right prayers, uh, you know... Don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. Whatever your rules happen to be. It, it, you might get the impression that the law is bad. He's saying the law is not bad. The law is not bad. The law is good. It's good. It's scary because I'm a lawbreaker, but it's still good. Problem isn't the law. Problem is me. Sometimes people think that, uh, that, that if you come into a church, you're going to run into a God who lays down the law. and he, It's just a big cosmic buzzkill, Right? God's a buzzkill. He, he knows I'm enjoying life. He doesn't want me to enjoy life, so he sets up a bunch of rules to take good life away, like a mean teacher or a principal of a school just sets all these rules just to make my life miserable, and that's God. Well, that's not right. God's laws are expressions of his goodness. They're not an arbitrary standard that he comes up with just to torture humans. They come out of his character. They come out of who he is. And since he made us in his image... Look at it this way. If everyone in the world followed all of God's laws perfectly, everything he said was right and good, and did nothing that he said don't do, for one week, do you think the planet would look the same for the rest of your life? Just think about that. Everyone who steals would stop stealing, everyone who lies would stop lying, everyone would fix everything they broke. Just one week of that, governments would change, governments would probably fall and have to reform. Families would change. You know, we'd empty out uh, prisons. I mean, one week of following God's law and the world would be an amazing place. So law is good. Of course, that's not going to happen. God's law is given to mankind as a benefit. It's good news. It's like, you don't know this. Let me tell you this. You have all your own kinds of laws. You invent your own religions. You have a lot of freaky laws. Like that was the one that when we were in India at at that Krishna temple, you you say, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare, 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 Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. And I'm not kidding. It's just like that, a phrase like that. Say it 108 times and you'll be happy. Well, there's a law. It's not God's law and it's stupid. You're not going to be happy. You're going to be brain dead. People come up with all kinds of laws. God kindly revealed his law through Moses. This is how righteousness is attained. Obedience brings freedom, peace, and joy. Obedience is such a bad word to humans because we don't like to submit. Submission is a bad word. Obeying is a bad word. I'm free. Nobody tells me, you're not the boss of me. Kids know how to say that from the time they're three, four, five, six. No one has to teach a kid to say, you're not the boss of me. It's in the machine. When they're grown up, they don't say, you're not the boss of me. But that's really all they're ever saying. But obedience is the way to peace. Obedience is the way to joy. If you're obeying God. Because he knows what he's saying to do. He'd never lead you wrong. Psalm 19 7 and 8 says this the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul you know david said he used to just meditate on the law just pop open some leviticus and start meditating on that you might think well that's the boring part it is boring at times but if you stop and meditate on it you might get a sense of justice and of fairness and wisdom the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple If everyone in the world tells you you're a simpleton, here's your your prescription, here's what you do. (laughs) Well, I can change that. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, they should make you happy. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So Paul's reminding Timothy, look, I'm not saying that law teaching is bad, the law is good. Second thing to observe is he says the law is laid down, and those are the words he used, laying down the law lay down the law well that's that's a term paul uses here the law is laid down to instruct sinful mankind only it, it, there's the way he says this the impression is well he, he says it's not for everybody it's for sinners sinners need this lawbreakers need to be corrected people who never break the law don't need the law is this point lawbreakers need to be corrected and they need to be restrained The impulse to do evil is in human beings. It is in me. You know, back when I was a kid, watching Flip Wilson on TV, on one of our two channels, not counting the one way up high if you use the other knob. I just took some of you back, and the rest of you have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) He'd say, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make him do it. You know what made me do evil? I had a great evil idea, and I did it. I didn't think of it as evil. I thought of it as self-beneficial. The devil has always been just my cheerleader. You know, you have that one guy on the shoulder who's got a, a halo, and the other guy who's, who's got a pitchfork. Well, mine didn't have a pitchfork. He had pom-poms and a, and a cheerleader outfit on, and it was Satan. He's like, go, Mike, great idea. I came up with the bad ideas myself. I needed restraint. This, by the way, as a side note. Parents are a restraint on sin. You don't think of it that way, and I mean this very seriously. One of the things that gets lost in a culture of divorce and a culture of fatherlessness, when that gets great and, and we face that, I mean, it's the culture I was grew up in, is you lose a lot of the restraint on the kids. They need inner restraint on their sin. And God made it perfect. He said there's going to be a man and a woman, the two of you love each other, and then discipline these, and you'll make restraint people who know how to restrain themselves. Well, that, you can see what's happening in our society is marriage is dissolved. You have little sinners growing up to be big sinners who haven't learned to, to restrain themselves. and And they politicians. <laughs> yeah, when I look at all the political ads, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I've never found myself agreeing with both sides' hate ads. They're both right. <laughs> guess that's what it's come to. But mankind is sinful by nature. The, the, This is where people say, Christians are such pessimists about mankind. We're more pessimistic than you think. We say, if you led us to our own devices, took away the graces of God in our life, we would all be as evil as possible. We naturally want to break the laws of God. And and that's where Timothy is getting schooled by Paul. If you go back to verse 9 of our text, he says, the list, let's look at that list. He says, understand this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. And that's you. That's anyone who doesn't know before you know Christ, by the way. For the ungodly and the sinners. So he's got, these are a list of people for whom the law is. And he's really describing you and me. And if you look here, you'll see he's describing the Ten Commandments. For the lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly, the sinners, the unholy and the profane. Remember those first commandments. You shall love the Lord your God. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, you shall not have a graven image. Well, the ungodly, the sinners, the unholy, the profane, then you should honor your father and mother. For those who are violent, they strike their father and mother. You shall not kill. For those who murder, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not commit adultery. For the sexually immoral, the men who practice homosexuality. By the way, we've been reading this text in all our campuses, and probably, I I know, because homosexuality is such a hot-button issue today, some are waiting for me to get to that so I can go off and do a sermon on homosexuality and uh, I'm not going to do that here because that's not the context um, but just to give you to, to let you know where it's coming when we get to chapter 2 you'll see Paul talks to t- it splits that chapter in two halves in the first half to the he speaks of to this is what I want men to do the second half he says this is what I want women to do and we're going to get us into some serious trouble there. And we're going to deal with it. We're going to say, what does God say about male? What does he say about female? What does he say about homosexual? What does he say about transgender? Because we have to, because our society is wondering. And it will be good, and it will be peace producing, and you'll be happy if you listen to the word and let him teach it. In this case, though, he's just pointing out that there's, you can be sexually immoral as a heterosexual. And also, if you're a man who lies with a man, you're, you're being sexually immoral homosexually. You can do it both ways. Also enslavers, thou shalt not steal. That's literally kidnappers. You, you can't steal worse than that. Then you have thou shalt not bear false witness. You have the liars and the purgers. And then he just says, whatever else is contrary to what's right, to sound doctrine in the gospel. So he's saying people who do those things, they need the law. That's who it was laid down for. We're going to skip to Romans for a second. Chapter 3. Verse 19 and 20, here it comes, ready? Paul says, now we know that whatever the law speaks, it says to those under the law. Now, we're not gonna break down all of Romans 3, but you can see Paul is consistent in his teaching in 1 Timothy with a theology he builds in Romans and Galatians, by the way. He's saying, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to a certain crowd, who? Those under the law. There's a picture for you. The law is above your head, and what's it, what's the law do above my head? Well, it, it lists out. This is God's righteous standard, and it's much higher than any human standard. So this is God's righteous standard, and here's your behavior, and here's where you fail, and with me, literally, and with you too. You might think, well, there's probably ten ways I failed. No, no, no. There's thousands. When you start to compare yourself, if I compare myself to you, I'm all right. We can do that safety in numbers thing. Well, it can't be that bad because I'm not any worse than they are. Don't be fooled by that. God doesn't judge you that way. He judges you by himself. So the, the law is above me. But then the law makes sure it's well known that there's punishment. God will, that God will not coexist with sinners like me. That there is a place called hell for me to punish me because I am ungodly. And that's right above my head. I'm like, I need to get away from that. But like, you know, like uh, uh, Pigpen, you know, his cloud just goes with him. I mean, it's... The law says it's because those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So here's an interesting thing. As Paul is saying that the law is just for lawbreakers, Right? It's just for lawbreakers. But here he's pointing out that everybody is a lawbreaker. The entire world is held accountable to God. And the entire world is guilty of lawbreaking. Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Anyone who thinks, well, I got that the Christians do this and the other religions do that. I think I'm as good as most people, better than some. You know, I ain't Mother Teresa, but I give to the poor and I don't try to hurt nobody. I'll take my chances. Okay, you have no chance. You will go to hell for your sin. You have an elated view of your own righteousness. (laughs) And it's wrong. Because by the works of the law, in other words, by obedience to doing good deeds, no human being will be justified. How many? Zero. None. Well, there's one exception. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, the law doesn't save me. And and see, this is the classic, normal way that we all get religion wrong. And you get this wrong, you don't have to be taught it, you just get it wrong. If you're a good boy, you go to heaven. If you're a good girl, you go to heaven. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all good children go to heaven. The ones who swear, never go there. One two three four five six seven. Well, that put me right in hell right there, that little poem. <laughs> Found that in a Cracker Jack box when I was a little kid. I, I couldn't sleep when I read that. I'm not kidding. I was like, I'm, I'm toast. Thing is, it was true. It was true. The law shows me how bad I am okay so that means no one can get saved by being good why why even talk about it why not God does not tell us the law let us obliviously go through this life get whatever pleasure we can before we have to spend eternity in hell aha the the answer is it's because God loves me even though I'm a sinner he wants to save me and you and it leads to seeking grace as in, in verse 23 of Romans 3, he says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We establish that through the law. But now watch this thing. You got law, teachers of the law, law. And then here flies in Jesus and here comes this other word, grace. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, justified means just as if I had never sinned. Had the law over me. If that could be moved away and grace was over me, all that sin washed away, it's gone. And now what am I? Innocent. Well, how do I get to there? Well, it's a gift. Well, who's giving that out? I'll knock on his door. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners, not set up a list of rules which you can fail at. Whom God put forward as a propitiation in his blood. Now, this is a wild idea. What it means is God sent his only son. who is Jesus is God forever. There's one God exists forever in three persons. That means forever, forever, backwards and forwards. It's one God, three persons. I can't understand that. Welcome to the human race. None of us can, but that's what the Bible reveals. But at one point in time, he took on a human body. He didn't stop being God. He remained divine But he also took on a human nature. And that human body, guess what he did? Jesus didn't need the law. Why? He's not a lawbreaker. Nothing in him. He didn't need someone to say, thou shalt not. He didn't need it. He never wanted to do it. He always did what was pleasing to his father. He is not I needed it from childhood. As soon as I figured out that no was a word and that and that there was a mom or a dad telling me to do something I didn't want to do or stopping from me from doing something I did want to do, the word no automatically lifted from within this innocent little cherub, no. And I had a good mom. She restrained me. Whack <laughs> That's how that works. It was a gift, but Jesus didn't have that problem. Imagine Mary with Jesus. He had brothers and sisters after him. Could you imagine being his little brother? Why can't you be like your brother? (laughs) Mom, there are deep theological reasons that I've yet to understand, but I know I can't. (laughs) Why can't you be like him, Mom? (laughs) Whack, that'd get you a whack right there. So Jesus kept the law. He fulfilled the law. He was the one man. Now the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Well, did Jesus sin? No. Should he die? No. And there's the magic. The Bible says if Satan understood what he was doing, he would not have tempted anyone to send Jesus to a cross because that's how he was undone. The beautiful, the deep magic in C.S. Lewis kind of Narnia terms was that if you take the innocent one and slay him, then all his kind, human, can be forgiven for their sins. The innocent one in the place of the others. That's called a propitiation. And that means that Jesus Christ satisfied God's anger at sin. Because he is angry at sin. Not out of control, but angry at me for my sin. But Jesus Christ takes that anger away because he took the sin away. How? And that's why it's easy for him to forgive me or you if you receive Christ. Christ. As a side note, that's you know our our women are thinking uh, about forgiveness this year as their theme, and that's where your power to forgive comes from. It's really easy to forgive someone if someone can take the anger away. Well, that's what he does. He takes the anger away. Propitiation by his blood, without the shedding of blood, there's no, there are some Christians or so-called Christian scholars who say, we have to rethink the cross, it's a bloody thing and and violent and God's not that violent and he wouldn't kill his own son in a capricious manner to save someone else. Well, they're just full of the Satan when they teach that. I don't care if they have a nice collar or a tall hat or a lot of degrees and they're quoted in Time Magazine. Because if he doesn't shed his blood, there's no one to assuage the anger of the Heavenly Father for the guilty. Now, how do I get this gift? To be received by faith. So I can get forgiveness of sins just by trust. That's what faith is. Trust that Jesus will give it to me. If I just trust in him? Absolutely. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, I believe in the same God you do. We all believe in the same God. You say Jesus, I say God, I say, I don't care what you say. If you don't say Jesus, you don't believe in God. You may believe there is one, but you don't believe in him, and you're not going to heaven. Because only one paid the way. You may be a nice club of people who believe in deities, We're in the... Everyone loves a deity club. Good for you. You can have that. Club meeting's in hell somewhere, floating in fire. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Which former sins? All of them, including all the ones in yours, until the moment you put your trust in Christ. He could have handled it right away. But he didn't. So the third observation, the second one was that the law is intended for sinful mankind only. The third is this. When a person repents of sins and believes in Jesus for salvation, his relationship to the law must change. Now I added repentance in sins not because you have to do something except trust in Christ. But when you trust in Christ, the evidence that you've trusted in him is you're agreeing that sin is bad. And so you have a fundamental change of mind where you say, all these sins that my Savior had to go to the cross to die for, how can I love them anymore? The law does its work. And you say, oh my word, I was tripping through life thinking it was all about just doing this. I didn't even say how bad I was, but now I see how bad I am and I can't fix it. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a turning away from your old nature, turning away from sin. That's repentance. And trusting in Jesus for salvation. Now that means your relationship to the law must be changed. Why? Because you've been changed. When you come to know Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Our God is one God, three persons. One of those persons is the Holy Spirit. And when you put your faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. At that point, you can say you have been converted. If you're from the country, you say, I was saved. You know, if if you're really into the religious talk, you can say, I was washed in the blood. You can say, I'm born again, and you can say it like that, changing ag to A-G-I-N, born again. You can do that if you want. You may be high church and saying, at that time, I understood the love of Christ and he dwelt in my heart. You can say it any way you want. The Holy Spirit comes into you. And you're not the same. Let me point you back to our text, to this one line. That the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. Now you are the just. I am the just. I am righteous now. You're like, wait a minute. I've been around you a long time and you're all right, but you ain't perfect. Got you there. I am, you're right, I'm not in that sense, but I'm under grace. I look up, I don't see law no more. Jesus Christ took that away. I'm under grace, and grace says I'm always accepted, always loved, always innocent, always righteous. I have, my relationship with the Father is, is the same when it comes to my guilt or innocence as the father's relationship with the son. And of the son, he said from the clouds, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now he looks at you if you know Christ. And he says, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And she goes, like Mary, when the angel came, me? Yeah, you. Why? you didn't see me yell at the kids a second ago. Oh, I saw it. We're working on that but the blood of Christ has cleansed you from all sin, so now I'm pleased with you. Grace means his face is always shining on you. And here is the proper teaching of the law, because the Christian always wants to go back to the law. That's what we're tempted to do. Well, now that God saved me by grace, I better shape up or he's going to kick me out. Well, that'd be law, wouldn't it? Another place Paul says, Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. So you see the fundamental shift? You move from being under law to under grace. So now you can see why Paul says to Timothy, look, stop these guys who think they're, you, you can't teach, you can't get up there and just go through the Ten Commandments and say, look how you don't measure up, shape up, you idiots. You're talking to people who know Christ. They're just. You need to talk about stuff that makes sense. And it means as you as a Christian, you have to learn to think differently. Some, many people think, well, I prayed to prayer. I got saved. That's it. And they don't know their Bibles. They don't know their God. They don't, they don't understand anything. And they, if they are saved, they're failures the rest of their life. And some of them might not even be. Because you have to change the way you think. Because you naturally think law. You naturally think law. How do I know this? How can you test it on yourself? How do you treat other people who mistreat you? Think about that right now. Who would you give $100 to as a gift? Now, think of the ones you wouldn't. And why? And you'll come up with people that you know and a list of reasons they are not worthy. That's your natural way of thinking. It's law. And it's the way you think God thinks of you when you're in your old way. So you've got to change the way you think. Romans twelve two: Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your noodle. So let me ask the question then. If we're going to renew our noodles, how then are we to relate to the law as believers? Paul's righteous use of the law in teaching includes telling believers that being free from punishment gives freedom to lovingly serve one another. Now that's not everything about how you relate to the law, but it is is the central thing. Paul's righteous use of the law in teaching Christians like you includes telling believers that being free from punishment gives freedom to lovingly serve one another. You're not under the law, but you're under grace. That's an improvement. That's a step up. What's it mean? It means you no longer have to try to keep rules and keep from failing, but rather you're forgiven all the time so you can serve all the time freely as choice. You know, people often really struggle with this. Well, if if Jesus forgives me, why should I do good? Why don't I just go do bad? The question doesn't make any sense as you learn about grace. It only makes sense in a very strange and rudimentary way. Like if someone gives you a puppy. You oh, a puppy, and you love the puppy. And then they say, no, no one's going to do anything to you if you crush this puppy's head with a rock. You're going to be like, that was the weirdest thing in the world to say. Why would I crush its head with a rock? It's my puppy. I love my puppy. I'm not a puppy crusher anymore I've been saved <laughs> it doesn't make any sense it's the same well now that Jesus forgiven me why wouldn't I go out and sin against him every day <laughs> wait 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 the Holy Spirit lives in me he doesn't want to sin against him every day I went from powerless over sin to hating it and when I see it in myself I hate it all the more So, I'm free right now. I am free. I don't have to do good to please God. He's pleased because of the blood of Christ. And that leads the question: why do good? Why would I do anything else? Why would I do anything else? And what would motivate me to do do good? Well, now I really am free, and I really can love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't love unless it's free. Any 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 boyfriend knows this, or husband knows this. You make a plan, you want to do something for your girl, show her you love her. And then she gets in her head that you ain't doing enough. She somehow picks the same thing you were going to do freely, and she goes, hey, could you do this? It's been needing to get done, and you haven't done it. All of a sudden, you're like, I ain't doing that for her. Who's with me, guys? How does that happen? It's like a nightmare of life. I want to do it as a gift. Now you telling me to do it. It's like that. Love has to be free. Love is free. Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians just for a little bit. And then we'll close out this sermon. Because Galatians is where Paul. Galatians is just a book on the law and the grace. If you want to. You say man. You said you have just given us. Opening the door on this subject. I want more. Open up Galatians and start studying it. Spend a year on it. But look now for chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. And you're like, circumcision, not going to go into it now. The whole point he's using there is neither obedience to the law or disobedience to the law. That's what circumcision represents here for a Jew. Neither circumcision nor obedience to the law nor disobedience counts for anything. What does count? But faith working through love. Under grace means you live by trust in God and you love. And you say, well, won't that lead me to a lot of sin? You can't love and sin. You're not gonna commit adultery against your wife and love her at the same time. It's impossible. You're not gonna steal my stuff and love me at the same time. It's impossible. You can do a good deed to bless me or I could do one to bless you. And you're not doing it so God will like you better. He already adores you in Christ. There's nothing you can do to make him like you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him like you less once you're his child. But you'll find, I'm freely loving. And this is, this is the Jesus place. This is the grace place. It's where you're supposed to live. If you jump down to verse 13, a few verses later, Paul's going there again. He says, for you were called to freedom, Brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Here by the flesh, he doesn't mean this body. This is a neutral thing. It's neither good nor bad. It's weak. It's, It's funny. It gets older as your soul gets younger. It's just a body. It's just a thing. When he says flesh, he's talking about who you were before the Holy Spirit came in. When your soul was connected to this and nothing else. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He's saying, don't go sin. Don't, now that you're free, don't sin. Now that you have a puppy, don't crush its head with a rock. <laughs> if you happen to be a puppy crusher, which if you are, there's, you need counseling before it moves up to bigger things. That's just weird. If you don't like puppies, there's, I mean, puppies are the universal lovable thing, aren't they? You don't have to touch them even from a distance. Why am I talking about puppies? I don't know. But instead of doing that, what you should do is through love, serve one another. We exist in grace so that we can love one another. So a church that's all about getting people to keep rules so they can walk around saying, I keep rules better than her, and they do it. Do you see the way she dressed? Do you know what she's doing? Do you know what he's doing? Do you know how he says this? That's that's misuse of the law. But a church that's constantly telling people, how are you doing with loving other people? That's your measure of spiritual growth. That's that's the proper use of the law. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is in one word? Yes! Yes! Everything Moses wrote could have been summed up in one word, yes. But because of evil, a lot of things had to be specified. But if you would just have loved God, you wouldn't need a command, don't have any other gods, don't have graven image. You wouldn't need that. If you would just love your neighbor, you wouldn't need a command that says, if you go and, and your neighbor steals your ox, here's the punishment. You wouldn't need all that stuff. We say... Well, Isn't love your neighbor as yourself just another law? You're missing it. Not how he's using it. He's saying that's the summation of the law. The goal of righteousness, the goal of the law was always love. And then he gives the contrast. Here's a choice you have as a Christian. As a believer in Christ, with the Holy Spirit in you. He says, don't do this. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Why this warning? Because we can abuse our freedom and run back towards the flesh. You can abuse it under stress temptation from without temptation from the old nature you just go sin don't do that and 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 notice he puts this in a communal sense imagine a church like, like you take, there's nothing better than a box full of puppies right one puppy's good a box full is good and puppies don't have a lot of puppies unlike cats who just can't seem to produce but dogs doggone it they'll they give you seven eight nine ten eleven twelve dogs and after a couple of weeks, they're so cute, and you got a big box, and they're in there tumbling around. They're so lovable. Well, if you look in there, what if that's the church? God's like, oh, look at my little lovable puppies down there. And then he sees they start to, like, bite the skin off of each other and tear the little legs off of each other and just, just destroy each other. You say, that's a disgusting image. Why would you put that in there? So you would see what Paul just put in front of you to say how you should not behave in the church. What a disgrace it is to God when God's people devour one another free to love instead they use their freedom to tear down don't do that verse 16 but I say and here's the end of our message right here in this text verse 16 17 and 18 says but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh you can't walk in two different directions at one time just try it you can't do it so, so, so the Christian life, living not under law in order to please God so that he doesn't throw you to hell, because he's already pleased with what his son did, and you humbly receive it. The Christian life, though, is saying, I got two voices in me now. <laughs> One is the living Holy Spirit that I'm going to be with forever and ever and ever. The other is my old nature, which is only for a little while. Till I die or he returns, this body will be transformed. I have no more trouble with my... Old nature, because it won't be... You know, I won't have any trouble with the devil. He'll be thrown in a lake of fire. I won't have any trouble with other people influencing me wrong. But for now, I got two paths. And I got two moving parts. I could walk wherever the Spirit walks, or I can walk wherever my old nature wants to walk. It's not about punishment anymore. I'm not going to be punished. Christ was punished for me. It's about how I live and love, and this is my Christian life. He's saying... You know what the spirit wants? To do that. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You ever say, "If I'm free from the law, why do I still want to break it at times? It feels like there's two oppo- opposing forces warring in here. There are. Flesh is way, it's a fight to be a Christian. And you're always fighting the Holy Spirit against the flesh. But he's not saying, go, woe is me. I guess I'm just going to have to give in. No, he's saying fight. How do you fight? If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. As long as you're thinking, I've got to be good enough, you'll find yourself, I've got to do good deeds to keep God happy. You will find yourself powerless. I know this is hard stuff. It needs a lot of thinking, but it needs to be said simply so you can let it be hard. Uh, to put it another way, I need to do good works to please God and stay saved and clean before Him or He'll kick me out of heaven is a thought that should never enter my mind. But I will walk where the Spirit leads, not where I used to walk or where I wanted to walk before, it should always enter my mind. I was watching a football game yesterday, and I get into football, and and I was all excited when my team did something good, and I really felt like hating the other team while they were down. And I literally stopped myself, because this is on my mind. It goes, that's not what the Holy Spirit wants you to think of the other team. Just enjoy your team crushing their heads without saying, ah, your heads are crushed. (laughs) I know that's a silly example, but when you're under stress, this is when I drink. That's what your old nature did. Why don't you keep in step with the Spirit instead? This is when I lose my temper and yell at her. Well, that's what your old nature did. But now you have freedom. You have a choice because the Holy Spirit will empower you. Paul goes into two lists. Let me show you these two lists. So that's the heart, walk in the Spirit. But then he goes right into two lists. And, and I want you to consider these two lists in your soul, in your life. The first is a list of works. The second is a list of fruits. What's the difference between works and fruits? Works, you're building something. Fruits just grow. And I want you to look at yourself as you read this list, or two lists. First, verse 19 of the same chapter. For the works of the flesh are evident. Now see if you don't see yourself in this list. Go all the way back to birth. So anything can be evidence against you, including your good old thought life. Sexual immorality, it's any sexual sin. Impurity. Impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which is pharmakia, that's drug use, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. I don't think we do or- They're not in these days. They were in the Romans, but I think that's porn. It was like an orgy. And things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When I look at those things, I see all of them in my life. And it's a, it's a pretty ugly list, isn't it? Before, I thought of it differently. I thought, I'm just doing what I do. I'm not bad. But look at that list. How about you? Do you really think you're a good person? Even in your thought life, you weren't doing those things. Now, do you think you're good before God? You're not, are you? That's your works. It's what you produced. People say, well, why didn't God let everyone into heaven? Do you want to go to heaven where that is in every soul and every heart? I don't want to be there. So he sent his son to die and take it away and put it in his spirit. And now look, he says this. Here's another list. But the fruit of the spirit is love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, against everything in that list, those are against the law. Note here, law is not needed, because against these things, there is no law. And I look at me, and you know what I see? I do see love. As much as I'd like? No, but I see more than there was. For me, before I was a believer, anger was huge for me. Fits of anger, wrath, rage, flying off the handle, and I could stare at my belly button all day and give you all the reasons and family history of why I could justify it. But I'd just be giving you a bunch of crap. For does it doesn't matter why me, the sinner, would always lose my temper under stress, say awful things, break things. When I became a Christian. For the first several years, I was so frustrated because I could not get a hold of my anger. Why can't I stop feeling angry? The beautiful thing was, as I look back, I was getting a hold of it. I have a lot of self-control now. I'm not perfect, but I was. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit was growing in me something I wasn't responsible for. All I had to do was stay in Christ, stay in his word, try to walk where he walked, not where my flesh walked. And there it is, it's just growing. And so do do you ever see these in you? Do you ever see joy in an unexpected moment, peace that you didn't expect, patience even a little bit more than you used to have? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Well, those, the Spirit is growing in you. And so here, I've got the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And what is Paul saying to us? Verse 25 of that same chapter. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. I love that phrase, keep in step with the Spirit. I just see the Spirit walking this way. And I'm like, well, I've got to, okay, he's left foot, right foot. Here we go. And it also means I find that I cannot listen to myself anymore. You want to be frustrated. It happened to me this morning. I was looking out the window and I saw something I didn't like in my yard. And I knew someone, not me, put it in my yard. And I thought, now I have to go clean that up out of my yard. It doesn't matter what it was. It wasn't a big deal. And the first thing I want to do is become very impatient. And, and I, Because this is on my mind, I thought, where's the spirit going with this? Spirit ain't going where you want to go, being impatient and find out who you got to yell at. Spirit said, okay, someone did that. You don't know why. You don't know how. They probably had no idea that you were going to be annoyed. Spirit says, patience. So I said, okay, I have a choice, don't I? I'm going to keep in step. And I wasn't doing it so, so God would love me more because there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. I wasn't doing it for that reason. I wasn't even doing it because it's the most effective of getting, way of getting stuff out of my yard. If you go yell at somebody long enough, they'll stop doing stuff. I was doing it because it felt so much better to walk in the Spirit. And I liked myself better at that moment. And I came to church to preach to you. My friends, that is the Christian life. Keep in step with the Spirit. He's there. That's your application. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love the Lord your God. You're free to. Well, that means all your energy. All your energy get passionate sometime. People say, well, we shouldn't talk about emotions. I am forgetting your emotions as amped up as I can every time I tell you the word of God. I never want it to outrun your intellect or your reason, but if you, your emotions are such a tiny little package compared to the glory of the truths that we deal with in the Bible. I can't get your emotions high enough. Love the Lord your God with all your might. Go for that. And when your old nature comes, i got to keep in step. And when you blow it, we have an advocate with the Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Run back and say, Father, blew that one. Put me back on the trail. i to keep in step. And if you haven't received Christ as Savior yet, I made it as clear as I could make it. But just in case I didn't. The law of God is saying you will go to hell And it will be righteous. You will have no argument. If you do not get out from under that punishment, you're not going to ever be good enough. Jesus was good enough for you. Run to him and believe in him. Ask him to save you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.